Welcome to the Finding Backcountry Podcast with your host, Dustin Whitwer. I am Dustin Whitwer, and this is the Finding Backcountry Podcast. Follow along on my journey of learning from the best backcountry hunters each week as we explore valuable information I use to find success in the backcountry. Let's get to the show. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Finding Backcountry podcast. Um, This episode, I have nobody. I have myself. And this is going to be a solo episode. Haven't done this in a while, but... Wanted to jump on and give a rundown and explain kind of how my last hunt went that I wrapped up. And that was my Wyoming resident, uh, Wyoming elk tag. So a lot of opportunity here in Wyoming as a resident. I was lucky enough to draw as a party with my wife uh, a unit, a good unit here in the up in the northwest up here by kind of where i live and so really good elk unit had a chance to get out this is probably my i guess it was my third maybe call it my third like organized hunt that i was going to get out on this year so you know it doesn't sound like a lot but the other two hunts were a pretty big you know, it was out of state. It was a big, you know, kind of a high profile hunt with that moose tag and a lot of energy and thought and stuff went into that. And then same with, you know, any, any out of state hunt, I feel like you, it's just taxing, you know, it's different than hunting, you know, in your home state or from where you can sleep in your house every night or whatever. Uh, because it's such a big production, you've got to pack, you've got to get, especially when you're, and then when you're backpacking, that adds a whole nother element to it. And so, you know, that was two hunts, the, that Colorado hunt and the uh, moose hunt, but it was, you know, it kind of all rolled into one just big, big hunt. And so, um, anyway, this was a different, different feel, different, different pace. This was, you know, here obviously in Wyoming and within driving distance each night. I did stay up on the mountain one night, but for the most part, this was, you know, weekends, extended weekends, back and forth, stuff like that. So this was a type one tag, which means different things in Wyoming for different hunts. In this case, it was pretty straight up. It meant I could hunt the unit. September 1st to the 30th with a bow, which, which is very generous. And then I could pick up a rifle the very next day, October 1st and hunt with a rifle in the same unit until October 21st. Now guys are going to think I'm crazy. I think I was probably a little crazy now that I hunted the, the tag for a year, but I did not get out at all on the archery hunt. And that brings up kind of my take on these resident Wyoming tags. And there's not very many of you out there. So this doesn't apply to a lot of people. Well, 
if you technically if you just draw as a non-resident you know a type one tag is a type one tag so the same rules would apply but you know as a resident it's it's different right because like i was saying with those out-of-state hunts i'm committed right it's a you know i have this week that i'm going to take off work it's a six eight ten twelve hour drive or whatever it ends up being sometimes and so when you're in that situation with a tag that's out of state you take it a lot more serious and what i mean by that is you know when you go you're going to commit to that to that hunt whereas when you're a resident and it's a couple hour drive uh, even if I got out on the archery hunt, I might, you know, guys, I think use that archery portion of the hunt to maybe just like a scouting trip with a bow in their hands. And if they kill one or, you know, they're, they're not there with a definite, you know, especially as a resident and it's close, you're not there with a definite time frame. Like, you know, if you don't kill one, one weekend, you can come back the next weekend. You don't, you know, you don't have like set five days that you're there to hunt. And so that changes your motivation or your um, willingness to, <clears throat> excuse me, your willingness to uh, just be aggressive and make sure that you get it done and all those kind of things, right? Um, that being said, I think, you know, I probably missed an opportunity on this elk tag to to ch <laughs> to chase big bulls in the rut and i'll be honest part of my hesitation with this not hesitation but part of the reason that i just you know i let those other hunts get my interest was i just am not i man i hesitate to say this like and it'll change maybe from year to year i don't know but elk is not my number one priority right now i've gotten hooked on mule deer i'm still hooked on mule deer um i killed you know, a pretty respectable mule deer in Colorado this year. I still can't get enough of mule deer. It just fueled the fire. And so, you know, and, and that being said, I, I kind of felt like during September, I just had those other big hunts. And, you know, when you, when you go on a 10 or 11 or 12 day or whatever ended up being um, long hunt, and you kind of give it all you got physically and mentally and financially, you know, you're driving all over. You just kind of like, you kind of get back. At least I do. I'm speaking for myself. I kind of got back and was like, you know, yeah, I could have gotten out maybe that last weekend in September or something, but you know, you've been away for two weekends. You got projects you got to get done, you know, especially up here before the really cold weather hits and just, just life, you know? Um, and so I didn't take that. I didn't even utilize that archery portion of the tag. Um, I think, you know, not that I don't like hunting elk or that I won't apply for the same tag or the same type of tag next year. Um, but I, I kind of regret that. I kind of, I feel like I should have, you know, given that, uh, some, some effort on the archery tag because, you know, I got, what happened was I got up, I got up opening weekend of the rifle hunt and with, with, uh, you know, just, just kind of checking a spot that I had a good friend at work kind of point me in a direction. He had hunted the tag before and got into elk, got in, you know, first morning. In fact, that I woke up, um, good, good sized bull 
and he's bugling. He's chasing cows, and I can hear him bugling. There's a couple bulls bugling. And at that moment, it kind of rekindled or kind of lit the fire again in my in me and reminded me that I do I do like chasing elk when they're rutting in September or, or rutting in general. They don't have to rut only in September. Um, and so I kind of at that moment kind of, you know, regretted not getting out on the archery portion of the tag. I think that if I draw this a similar type tag next year i will dedicate some time to that because um and i'll explain the layout of this of this hunt and generally kind of the opportunities that i could have had with a bow might have been pretty good so um no didn't hunt it in september got out from ex- for some extended weekends uh, my wife really was limited with teaching and stuff like that where we didn't go on some of the archery hunt in the and she's she's she has a bow she's not yet a bow hunter um you know she's she can sit and and hit you know a target that she needs to hit it out you know 20 to 40 yards probably but her and i were both probably a little hesitant uh to turn her loose on an archery hunt especially like not that there's ever an easy hunt to you know draw back and and execute an archery shot because it all regardless whether it's you know i'm sure everything from a moose down to a turkey um a first-time bow hunter it's just a different experience so you know it it, maybe it would have been good for her because we could have called a bull in and maybe got it you know inside of 20 yards or something like that and been good uh (laughs) but we weren't, she's not quite there yet where she feels confident in picking up a, a bow and having, you know, there's just so much going on. I tried to explain to her, you know, you've got to, you know, all of the mundane, just the archery portion of it has to be second nature at that point. You can't, you know, you can't be worried about your anchor point, you know, and we were still working on getting her comfortable with an anchor point that she liked and peep side in the right place and, you know, how to execute a, the trigger and all that kind of stuff throughout the summer. And if I'm telling you, if you're going into an archery season, still worried or learning or trying to, to figure that portion out, <laughs> um, you get a screaming bull in your face. I don't care if he's two yards or, you know, 52 yards. That's just, it's just, it, it, it compounds every little uh, mistake that you would have made and and probably makes it worse. So anyway, neither one of us really got out on the archery hunt. Um, and I think I, I think I miss that a little bit. I miss, you know, as soon as I heard that, saw that bull, I, I had him in the spotter <clears throat> the first morning that I woke up on the mountain there and he was bugling. I could hear it. He was chasing cows. It was just, you know, it was, uh, it was elk hunting. It was how elk hunting should be. Uh, the later it got in the hunt, the less I enjoyed it (laughs) because, um, what I don't like is I don't care for chasing elk when it's, you know, a freezing cold or B, you know, they're just, uh, bachelor grouped up, you know, bulls that are coming out of the rut and they're trying to recoup for the winter 
and they get in these nasty holes and stuff like that. And at that point, it's not that I don't like it. I just, at that point, it's like chasing a mule deer in October and I might as well be chasing mule deer. Um, <laughs> that's kind of how I felt about it. Um, and so anyway, who knows, maybe next year, you know, I, I came home, um, you know, I've been, I've actually been shooting my bow all year just in case I got up on, on this hunt or the Wyoming, you know, I had a Wyoming general tag that I could bow hunt as well for deer. Um, so I also came home and got out the longbow and I know that's, you know, that's just how I seems to be how I work. I'll, I'll go through something. I get interested in it. Um, I dive into it head first, which I did with that longbow and, you know, and then, and sometimes I stick with it and sometimes you know, I'm, I become uninterested and that's fine. I, you know, it's, I wonder, um, I wonder how many people are out there who are just hunting with a rifle or just hunting with a bow, maybe because of outside influences. Um, and deep down, you know, they've been a bow hunter their whole life or their dad was only a bow hunter or their friends are only bow hunters. And so they kind of started bow hunting. They think maybe shooting something with a rifle would be fun, but they, you know, they can't or don't want to deal with, you know, the social repercussions of that or whatever you want to call it. So anyway, that's not me. I may pick up, I may go exclusive longbow next year and I work at a long range rifle company. Who knows? Um, I still <laughs> shooting stuff with a rifle is just fun. I don't care what anyone says. Uh, learning and executing long range rifle shots is a whole nother skill set and that's equal it's equally fun and i'm you know i'm learning and i'm uh, extending my range and getting better at that craft as well so it's all fun i just I, I love it like you know whatever i'm into i love right and that that's the point is i try to i try to just stick with the stuff that i like i learned a long time ago that if you if you get burned out with something there's no point there's no good that will come of just uh, forcing yourself to do it. You know, if you don't, if you don't like bow hunting, don't, don't bow hunt. If you don't love, you know, rifle hunting, don't rifle hunt or muzzleloader or whatever. Um, I, I tend to love all of them, you know, at any given time, depending on the hunt or the opportunity or whatever. So anyway, um, so was packing the, the rifle, had the, the, uh, gunwork seven Psalm. I just love that gun. Um, that thing is, it just shoots, man. It's just, I have so much confidence in it and I don't care what weapon you're hunting with. Um, that is crucial, whether it's my longbow or a compound or the muzzleloader or a rifle, um, having that confidence that, you know, under whatever circumstances you're, you find yourself in where you choose to take a shot having confidence that you are going to hit what you're aiming at is it's everything. Um, you know, now it doesn't always work that way. You know, I'm not naive. I understand there's errant shots. Uh, you know, I've listened to numerous podcasts of other bow hunters and arrows are hitting limbs and deflecting and, you know, whatever there's, you know, obviously rifle, shots that go errant and wind calls that are bad and you know so on and so on and so on so but having that confidence in whatever weapon you choose is is a super valuable takeaway from this 
because I just, man, if I'm in the right, whatever the circumstance is, and, and what I mean by that with this gun is, you know, I, I consider the wind to be pretty much everything, um, along with, you know, just my general shooting platform and how, um, you know, how well of a shooting platform I have to execute a shot. And so that, that wind will determine really, you know, and, and obviously what the, what the target's doing, what the animal's doing, um, you know, it's different if I've got a buck that's walking across the hillside at a certain distance than if he's standing there, um, in one spot feeding or just stood up from his bed or whatever. Um, and so that obviously, you know, what I'm shooting at is a determination of how far I shoot too. But regardless of all those things, once that comes out of the equation and I say, okay, today or in this situation, I'm shooting 500 yards with my gun or 800 yards or 600 or 400 or whatever. Um, and same with my bow, you know, if there's a real heavy wind, I may cut my archery distance in half, you know, instead of shooting out to, you know, maybe 80 yards on perfect conditions, I'm down to 40 yards or whatever. Regardless of where that number comes out of the equation, once it does, having the confidence that you're going to hit what you're aiming at is crucial. And, you know, and, and, and we as sportsmen, we have to, you know, it's why ethics with shot distance and all that is um, silly because it all depends. Every situation is different and no, no, no one person can, can or should sit and say, you, you know, here someone took a shot at, you know, 68 yards with their bow or, you know, 702 yards with their rifle and say, Oh, that's too far. Or that's, you know, you shouldn't be shooting that far. It's, it all depends. It depends on everything. It depends on the situation, it depends on the weapon, it depends on the sh person shooting the weapon, their experience level or whatever. And the fact is, you know, the punchline is we're not going to change uh, people's minds anyway. If you know if they're going to do it, they're going to do it, uh, even if whether it's they should be or not. So there's no point in worrying about it. But anyway, having that confidence in your weapon, and I have that in that rifle. Um, if I have a, a steady shooting platform, and I and I whatever that distance is that I determine, I'm going to hit what I'm aiming at, and I love it. Um, and I'll I'll talk about that setup a little bit, but. Um, this was an interesting hunt. It was the first, well, it wasn't the first, uh, it was my first tag in grizzly country. Um, obviously last year, if you followed the podcast last year, my brother had a similar elk tag up here in a similar area close by. And we weren't successful taking an elk on that hunt. So I've had a goal since that hunt last year to, you know, have a tag, find a bull, kill a bull in grizzly country. And I, I accomplished that. So first off, you know, regardless of what bull I shot or what happened on the hunt, that was a, that was a win for me. Um, sounds silly if you're from this country, probably, but for me and for maybe other guys who, you know, come from a part of the world where grizzly bears are, you know, almost like aliens that we hear about, um, you know, it was, it was a big deal. It was, it was fun. It was exhilarating. I didn't have, you know, all spoiler alert. I didn't have any, you know, crazy encounters or anything like that. I'm secretly, you know, never mind. I'm not going to say that. It's not that I want to have an encounter, um, like, you know, a bear charging me or anything like that. I haven't even seen a bear. I have not seen a grizzly bear. And I know 
you know, I'm not stupid. I understand I'm hunting in places that are relatively thick with grizzly bears here. So, and that, that brings up another, you know, valuable point because a lot of hunters out there have probably considered hunting in grizzly country. You're either okay with the idea or you're completely not okay with the idea and you're just not going to hunt in grizzly country. You know, I was, I was, I was never scared of it. I was always looking forward to the opportunity. Um, in fact, I, I applied for quite a few elk tags throughout the years in up here in Wyoming, in this very country as a non-resident never drew, but, um, you know, my takeaway after two seasons of, of walking around up here is they're just not grizzly bears are not the boogeyman that, that they're made out to be. Um, not saying that you can't, you don't take them serious and that they're not, you know, a big deal or whatever, but they just, you know, if I've, if I've spent this much, this many days up here in this country, they're just not hiding behind every tree ready to jump out and get you. Um, if that makes sense. And so I'll update you if I, you know, once I finally have a, an encounter, you know, really have to deal with one, then that'll be, maybe I'll change my tune. Who knows? We'll see. Um, along those lines, you know, I pack a pistol. I don't, uh, I don't like to bear spray for a few reasons. And again, this is totally coming from a guy who has zero experience or zero background or you know, just going off of what I hear from people, but this is also just my, my thought process is, you know, first of all, I like to carry things that have multiple purposes and a bear spray is pretty one dimensional. A pistol, uh, you know, and this is obviously a stretch, but let's say you get in a situation. Well, first of all, I can use it to defend, I guess you could use bear spray against people too, but if some nut job you know, I come across some wacko in the backcountry or something. I can, you know, it's obviously self-defense as well. But, and then I, you know, I can still use a pistol um, in a survival situation if I need to get food or something like that, put myself out of my misery after I get mauled by a bear. <laughs> um, anyway, no, it's not, not seriously, wouldn't do that. But, um, so I always pack a pistol. Um, I used to pack a uh, Smith and Wesson 44. Um, I've since picked up a Glock, uh, 20, 10 millimeter that I pack. And the reasoning behind that, you know, I, I like the rom romantic nature of packing a, a, uh, a revolver, you know, it makes you feel like John Wayne or whatever, but in a practical shooting situation, I'm not, you know, I wasn't naive. You know, I understand that it would have been very difficult for me to execute a well-placed shot on, you know, a 500 pound grizzly bear barreling down the hill at me or whatever. Um, and especially multiple shots or whatever. So kind of made up my mind, you know, I'll still use that pistol, that uh, revolver if, you know, maybe I'm hunting with three other guys and I just want to have something where, you know, there's three other guys, they all have guns or something. And, you know, it's not that big of a deal, uh, that I have, you know, the only form of defense or whatever. But when I was out there by myself, I felt a lot 
more confident in a semi-automatic pistol that I feel like I could get, you know, a couple shots on target a lot faster than I could with the revolver. So, um, one interesting or valuable, uh, lesson that I learned with that is, you know, I replayed the situation a million times in my head. And that situation was, you know, I walk around through some trees and there's mama bear with cubs or something like that. And I'm, and I'm in a chart, a bear church situation. Right. And every single time, you know, and I would even, I would even practice this a little bit. Um, you know, as I was walking around in the mountains or whatever, uh, drawing that pistol out of my holster, you know, aiming it, finding the trigger, all that kind of stuff. Then something interesting happened. I was nonchalantly walking through some timber, um, had my hunting rifle slung over my shoulder and my pistol on my side, like I do, or on my, on my, uh, thigh. It was a, it's a drop down thigh holster that I really like. Um, anyway, something, something snapped a branch like relatively close. And I, I, I don't, I don't exactly remember at the time if it was, uh, you know, what it was, if maybe there was an, uh, an elk close by or something like that. So, something happened that snapped a twig close by. Maybe it was just a squirrel. I don't know. Regardless, in my mind, it was potentially dangerous or potentially a bear. And so what I realized was in that moment, regardless of all the times that I had thought it through, in that split second, like, fight or flight moment, I reached... I, I actually reached for my rifle and naturally just tried to pull my rifle over my shoulder and get it relatively shouldered, you know, and like had my hand on the bolt ready to rack around. And then obviously I realized it was no danger. There wasn't, you know, but it was just eye opening because I just didn't think, you know, there's any question that I was going to grab my pistol on my side in that situation. And I didn't. And so the point for me or the lesson was um, I, I, need, I need to practice that more. Um, you know, if, if I'm just going to pack a pistol around and then instinctively reach for my rifle over my shoulder, um, the, it, what's, you know, why even have the pistol? So um, anyway, that was just something that I'd realized like, and I even said to myself, as soon as I did it, after, you know, right after the fact, like, man, that was stupid, man. Like, like it, it took me so much longer to get that gun off my shoulder and swing it. And I, did, I hadn't even racked a, a round yet. Um, and with my pistol, I mean, it would have been, you know, if I was properly training or practicing with it, like, it would have been a lot quicker. So anyway, just something to think about for those of you that are, you know, coming up to hunt here. But my takeaway from all that is if you're, if you're out of state and you, you know, you're not quite sure, maybe you're considering it like, you know, it's, it's something I think, uh, anyone who hunts the West, um, I think, it, I think it was a good experience. I'll tell you what it, uh, you know, I don't want to say that it changes you, but you know, I'll get to the story of the elk and, you know, hiking out of the, the quote unquote backcountry or the, the elk mountains there, uh, with a little bit of blood on you in the dark at night. Um, it just, you know, definitely a heightened sense of the situation and your surroundings. And, and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to say it makes you feel alive, but man, it sure was exhilarating. And, 
just kind of got the blood pumping and that's that's good i you know we don't want to i don't ever try to put myself in dangerous situations purposely or unsafe situations or anything like that um, i'm probably not a guy that's going to go skydive uh but you know i'm going to do what i'm going to do and you can't let the fear of the unknown or the fear of what could what could happen uh cripple you right because then we end up paralyzed we end up i you know not not doing anything in life and and missing out on some awesome experiences so um okay so as i said i i kind of ended up weekend hunting this you know i was in an area that was definitely had some roads which is different for me um but you know there's 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 two ways to approach a hunt like this uh i would say 50 percent of the unit was um kind of down in this kind of lower country relatively quite a few roads in and out of you know mountain ranges and stuff and you know no spot was more than a mile or two miles maybe from a road and then the other half of the unit was and is completely remote nasty backcountry wilderness right i'll be honest the backcountry guy the guy from finding backcountry podcast i just didn't have it in me to like you know buckle up for well and and part of it was days off work and stuff like that but i just didn't have it in me to like the whole production of a camp i didn't you know it was just me um and i just i just wasn't i just wasn't committed to it and so i didn't uh i didn't go in you know 15 miles deep or anything like that uh which is fine uh there was great elk hunting you know not in there i'm sure probably a chance at a bigger bull back in that remote country just knowing elk and elk behavior but um i did what i did so a <clears throat> couple weekends here and there ended up hunting maybe seven or eight days total off and on and saw elk the whole time uh, a lot of elk a lot of bulls too and just didn't you know looked over a lot a lot of small bulls saw saw or knew of maybe one or two other bulls um, besides the one that i was after and didn't uh just couldn't make it happen on them or other hunters got in the way and so really good experience looking over a lot of bulls i i'd never you know there were a couple of times with relatively smaller bulls that i could have punched the trigger and i thought about it for a split second but you know i'm just i'm trying to get to the point where i'm i stick to what i'm what i came there for you know and i came there for for a mature bull you know a mature six six point bull at least you know i didn't necessarily have an inches on it but um and so i you know i kept hunting and got down to the very last day you know my uh work was good enough that you know i took the middle of the week off the one one day in the middle of the week to kind of see if i could finish this thing out on a wednesday uh which was nice there was no people up there so end up um the morning that I killed this this bull, or the day I killed this bull, rather, I was glassing that morning from a you know a really good glassing point. Could see you know quite a few directions, 270 degrees probably, 
and picked up this herd of elk. Um, you know, this is October, this is literally October 21st, last day of the season, and picked up a big herd of elk, uh, three miles down the ridge, across, crossing no roads. Um, so I'm, you know, I take off. Uh, I could see from three miles out that there were some bulls, and that was about it cut the distance in half. I was basically at that point, I'm basically, you know, and I'm up high and coming down off the ridge a little bit, dropping maybe 800, 900 feet invert to get where they were at. I was not running because I had a pack and a gun with me or whatever, but I, I was jogging at times. Um, and, and when I wasn't, I was on a very brisk walk, um, trying to get to these bulls or this, these, this herd of elk to see what they were. Cut the distance in half relatively quick, about a mile, mile and a half out, popped up the spotter again. At that point, that's when I saw the bull that really convinced me to keep going. Um, he was a very good bull, you know, and I don't know. I didn't have enough time close up to put inches or anything like that. He was a good bull, um, maybe as big or bigger than anything I've killed. And so I was at that point, I'm really after him. They are, this is late morning at this point, nine, nine 30, maybe, I don't know. And they're doing what elk do. They're heading for a deep, uh, side of timber on the side of the ridge that I could still see there. You know, I could tell when I first spotted them, they're up on the top of a finger that was coming down off the main ridge. And, and it could have went either way at that point. Um, I took off and luckily once I cut the distance, they, I lost them for a minute, but, and I thought they'd gone over the back side. They stayed on the same side, which was, you know, what ended up getting this done. If they'd gone over the back side, who knows what would have happened. So spot the bull at a mile, mile and a half that I know is a serious bull, not going to shoot from that distance for sure. So picked up, hustled even further down the ridge and cut it within i think at that point i hit 1200 yards um was gonna set up for the shot and couldn't but by the time i got to that point they were they had basically disappeared into the timber so i took advantage of that and there was one more point that i could get to um before i had to wrap clear around and be on the same hillside as them basically which would not have been optimal to be able to see what was going on and so I, I moved to that point. That put me at about 800 yards. So at that point, I'm I'm set up 800 yards, perfect cross canyon, you know, shot up on a little knoll with basically no trees, couple maybe one or two trees next to me, um, and I'm just perched up there. I've got elk, a big herd of elk, 30, 40 elk that I'm, you know, at this point. At that very point, I'm like 95% sure that they went into um, the patch of timber that's, you know, the big patch of timber that's on the side of the mountain, but I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> and it's funny how that can play play tricks on you throughout, you know, as the day goes on, because at that point, I'm, I'm just playing the waiting game. And so, you know as the day goes on, what ends up happening is you try to talk yourself out of what you know. And I knew, 
I knew that elk, they, like the way they were going, I saw them side hilling, you know, 50 yards away from this thick patch of, of timber that went up the side of the ridge. And I knew, like, I know elk behavior well enough. There were, there was no reason for them to go anywhere else than right there in that pocket of timber that was probably a couple of hundred yards wide and a couple, two or 300 yards, you know, from top to bottom. And yet the longer I sat there all day, I, I set my rifle up. I got my ballistic rangefinder out, um, spotting scope set up. I, you know, I scanned the hillside a million times and every minute that went by, it was like, maybe those elk aren't there. Those elk probably aren't there. You know, how can I be sure? I would, I figured I would have seen one by now, you know, whatever. And, and so that, but what, what other play did I have? Right. Um, and so I stuck with what I knew. I've learned that long enough times that if you, um, you know, if you, you know, the last thing that you see, that's what you got to go off of and, and kind of what your instinct is as well. Um, you know, I think back to like mule deer and how many times, you know, I would, I would bet a buck head over for a stock with a bow get around to the other side of the hill. It's not super familiar. I don't know exactly where he was, or I think I know exactly where he was and he's not there, but I haven't heard him blown out. I haven't heard him blow out. I haven't seen him blow out. And I would talk myself out of it early in my, in my hunting life. And I would, you know, sit there for 30 minutes, hadn't seen him, couldn't see him, felt like I could, I had seen everywhere and I would give up. And then I would just start, you know, become impatient and start, walking around making noise almost you know not believing that he was even there to begin with and then all of a sudden buck blows up and he was you know five yards around the side of a tree that i couldn't actually see or whatever and he was there the whole time so the lesson to be learned is unless you have hard data that tells you that you know that buck you heard him blow out or you saw him leave or the elk all moved out or whatever Um, you have to assume that the last thing you saw is what's still going on. And so that's what I did. I sat there all day um, from, you know, at that point, probably 10 o'clock or whatever until the shot that I took at three or four o'clock, whatever it was. And so what finally gave him away, and this, you know, was refreshing is maybe, I don't know, like I said, three o'clock or so, a bull bugled. And I was not expecting that. Um, but you know, the bulls were mixed in with a bunch of cows. And so it wasn't, you know, it still made sense. Um, I've heard that cows will do cow elk will do what's called second cycle where if they, you know, say they go into heat, you know, the first week in September or something like that. And they're not, um, you know, they, they don't, they're not bred. They will, uh, come out of that cycle and then they'll recycle like I think it's four or six weeks later, maybe. And so they'll do what's called second cycle. Well, four to six weeks later puts it first, second, even third week into, into October, you know, if, you know, or later even. And I've, I've personally heard bulls bugling in the first week in November. So, um, you know, everyone gets stuck on September and there's no doubt that that's the time to be up there if you're after, you know, bugling bulls, but bulls don't, bulls and cows do not have calendars they don't give a crap they don't care what the calendar says they're just going off um you know their their uh instincts and stuff so 
three, three something bulls, bull bugles in the Canyon. And that's when I knew like, okay, yep. hundred percent. Obviously at that point I knew, you know, what I assumed was right. And so at this point, I mean, I've ranged the mountain a million times and the other, you know, thing with a long range shot, you know, an 800 yard shot is like I said earlier, wind is everything. And luckily it was relatively steady and I had all day to sit and read it. I had my Kestrel, you know, I sat, took multiple wind readings, went through it in my head, went through it in my ballistic calculators on my scope. I'm running that Revic, the Revic, if you're familiar, the reason that I love that Revic so much is you can input a wind call to the mile per hour and you can directionalize it on a clock face, right? So instead of just having a bracketed, um, you know, even our, our uh, the G7 has like a bracketed, a generic 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 mile an hour wind hold that you can pull up after you hit a range. A couple problems with that. One, it's only in 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 mile per hour increments. So, you know, if I had a 7 to an 8, which is what I had on the mountain, I was, you know, averaging a 7 to an 8. Um, I have to do math, which isn't difficult, but then it's compounded. If I don't, if I don't have a full value or in other words, a 90 degree wind to where I'm shooting, then I have more, uh, more calculation to do in my head. Right. And it kind of becomes a guessing game at that point. Well, with the Revic, I can input, you know, a seven or an eight mile an hour wind, whatever I think is more predominant. And then I can directionalize it you know, in 12 spots on a clock face. And so it was coming at, I can't remember if I put 10 or 11 o'clock. I think I maybe went with 11 o'clock was, you know, it was basically 45ing, uh, from, you know, in front of me into the, to the left of my target. And the lesson that I learned there is trust your equipment. I, I had all day to sit there and read the wind. I knew exactly what the wind was doing. There was no surprises. It was just one big open uh, little bowl or basin that I was shooting across. And the wind was coming up from the bottom, up this kind of the side. Uh, I knew exactly what direction it was coming from. There wasn't any weird, you know, mountain ridges I was shooting around or anything that would have affected the wind. It was doing what it was doing. And I knew exactly what it was doing. I put in the wind call and it was calling for uh 2.9 left 2.9 moa left i just i couldn't and this is just inexperience i guess or you know but i i didn't believe it i i felt like that was a little bit strong and i don't ask me why i've done this you know for my job for a couple years now you know i've shot that seven psalm uh I should have trusted it, but I felt like that was a little bit strong for whatever reason, no reason, which is the dumb part. Um, the other thing is that bull was, let me think about this. Was he facing, um, I can't remember now. Anyway, so regardless, Revic was calling for a 2.9. I should have held a three. I held like a two, like a strong two, like what do you call like maybe a two and a quarter or so. And so back up, let me back up. Bulls start bugling. I know I realize things are going to happen. I finally pick up elk moving in the trees. 
And so I get a glimpse of the bull that I came for. And he's in a spot where I, I possibly could have ripped a shot off if he would have stopped in the right pocket. He didn't. Um, he was in kind of walking through some down or some dead, dead, uh, burn timber. And so I waited, uh, like I, you know, which was a good decision. Elk, uh, cows start spilling out the top of the timber into the kind of the open sage. And in my head, he was going to be right behind him. What happened next? There's no excuse for. And, you know, I feel like it's what any clown would say. Right. But like the wrong bull stepped out. He was, he's a good bull. If you've seen the picture, like he's a good bull, but it was not the bull that I came for. And I shot him anyway. And I don't mean that like I accidentally shot him thinking he was the same bull. I mean that like, I can't explain what I was thinking or why I did it. But in my head, I watched him walk out. I got good optics on him. And I realized that is not the same bowl that I came over here for. But I also convinced myself. It's, it's amazing how fast that can happen. I convinced myself that I didn't care. I convinced myself that it wasn't worth waiting to see if that other bull eventually, you know, that other bull probably had, hundred yards of thick timber to go through before he would have stepped out. And I don't like, I even saw that this bull I shot had a broken, uh, main beam on his other side, which that doesn't bother me. I'm not, you know, that I don't care about that. It, to me, it adds character. It's kind of cool, but it was a dead giveaway. It was a dead giveaway that I knew that wasn't the right, that wasn't the same bull. And this other bull was definitely bigger. Even if this bull is intact, the other bull was more, it was a better bull for sure. And yet I just got impatient and I was so set up and I had been maybe because I had been sitting there all day, but just crazy, no excuse. And I, I shot him, I pulled the trigger and, uh, the shot went off. I, you know, I was relatively good with my recoil management, which is crucial at those distances, especially when you're shooting by yourself. Um, and I got back on him very quick, but I, he didn't act like he was hit. He just stood there like the rest of the elk. Now I'm running a suppressed barrel. And so that definitely changes things. I think, uh, if they had all blown across the mountainside or whatever, I may have seen him, you know, doing, you know, limping or, or, you know, trying to keep up and not being able to, or something like that. He, he showed no signs of being mortally wounded. And so I wasn't sure I, you know, I definitely had time to put another one in him. And if I would have known for sure that I like hit him good or whatever, I would have probably sent another one. I wasn't even sure that I'd hit him at that point. And so I just went into observation mode um, just to see what was going to happen. And they, he stood there for 30 seconds maybe. And then he finally, then he started doing the kind of the wobbly knees deal. And I knew that I had, you know, I'd, I'd probably hit him pretty good. And by the time I realized that he had already kind of laid down or tipped over a little bit um, and it was behind a couple trees. And so it was just the bullet was going to do. It was a bolt, what the bullet was going to do at that point. Um, he did stand back. He, he actually, he got up and he fell over at that point, rolled down the hill once. 
And that's when I pretty much packed up, you know, I, I got up, I broke my shooting position and all that. Well, then I, you know, I got back in the spotter just to double check where he was at. Last I had seen this bull was on his back with his tango uniform, which you can find shirts for that on our team back at your website, my tango uniform. <laughs> uh, if you're not sure what that means, then you probably shouldn't be buying the shirt, but um, he was tango uniform. He's literally four legs in the air and he's on his back, you know, antlers like torqued all the way around. And I get back in the spotting scope next to my gun just to verify the location when I go to walk over there. And he's back on his feet. Those bulls, I cannot believe how, how tough those bulls are. And he, I watch him just long enough to take two or three steps downhill into some thick trees and he disappeared. And so now I'm really like, oh man, like I know I hit him. He was tango uniform and he's back on his feet. And who knows now, now I'm thinking, great. I've got a wounded bull that, you know, could go five miles down the canyon and whatever. I have no idea what's going on. <clears throat> of course, I'm in, you know, bear country. I'm not really looking forward at this point. It's maybe, I don't know, four o'clock, three thirty or whatever. I'm not really excited about blood trailing a bull through the middle of the dark timber at night. Um, but that's what I knew. And so I pack up my stuff at that point and hustle around, you know, to try to get eyes from the top of the ridge down to where he was. I didn't, there was no, there was still too many trees above him. I couldn't see, but anyway, pack up all my stuff and hike around to the top of where he was. And, you know, again, he had just gone down into some trees, so I knew I couldn't see anything. So I start dropping down off real slow, real slow, real slow, real cautious. And he didn't go, I could see him piled up down there at that point. He didn't go five yards. So, um, that was it. Um, at that point I got down to check, check on him, get, you know, an assessment of the shot. I, like I said, I drifted, uh, back. So let's see. So that, yeah. So he was facing, uh, nose into the wind, which, which again, I know better. And that's even more reason to be a little bit more aggressive on your wind call. Uh, if you picture, you know, that, that bull facing relatively into the wind, if you're, you know, at that point, if the wind's coming left or right, and he's facing into the wind, I want to be a little bit slightly, if anything, more aggressive on my wind call, because then if I, if I miss my wind call forward, I'm just into either a clean miss or his neck, you know, which is still relatively vital rather than drifting back. And I, I was borderline drifting back too far. <clears throat> um, I got into, I don't know, I was probably, I mean, I still demolished his lungs. So I was, you know, four or five ribs back or whatever, basically an MOA from where I was aiming at that distance, uh, you know, MOA at 800 is roughly eight inches. And, and that's about what I missed. And so I should have trusted the Revic lesson learned, um, that bull, I mean, he was on his feet a total of, you know, another minute and a half in it and he was done. So that elevation was absolutely perfect. Um, like literally halfway up his torso. And then I just drifted back, you know, an MOA or so completely did the job uh this is speaking of that this is my 
yeah, second second animal this year with that 168 burger uh, VLD hunting bullet, and I'm I've been extremely impressed. I was Burger's biggest skeptic before coming here. Gunworks is big fans of Burger. I decided to give it a try. I shot Hornady for the first year. I wanted to try the Burger. Nothing but good things to say so far. <clears throat> that's two data points. That's nothing. But so far, and don't get me wrong, we have thousands of data points at work of the same the same results. So I'm I'm pretty confident in the bullet. But it just me seeing it with my own two eyes. It's exactly you know as advertised. So had really good luck with them. Um, yeah, so that that was it. I had a bull down grizzly country, and it's getting dark. And so as you know, I got a whole entire elk. I'm not going to pack him out myself that night. So uh, elected to do something that I have not done <laughs> since. Oh man, since I was almost in high school, probably a kid, and that was just got an animal and come back in the morning, and so pulled the pulled the guts out of him. I have never gutted an animal field dress an animal faster than that uh, by yourself at dark in grizzly country uh made record time got him opened up it was getting extremely cold the next day so i knew he'd be completely fine airing out overnight you know propped him open <coughs> prayed that nothing was on him the next day and and took off and you know and so that that was that was uh you know Getting him out of there was an adventure in and of itself. Uh, you know, we ended up coming back uh, the very next day with tried to get in one area, didn't work out, and a huge, huge snowstorm blew in. Um, by the time we even got around to where we were going to try to get in from with horses, it just, it was, you know, over half the day was gone decided to come back the next day. So he actually stayed an entire day overnight um, and was completely fine. You know, freezing, obviously snowstorm, freezing. Little paranoid about bears getting on him. Wasn't a single sign of bears. So ended up coming in with my good buddy Mike. Uh, Garrett, Garrett went in with me the first time, didn't get in there, and then Mike went back with me the second day with a couple horses, rode him in, quartered him, brought him out. So that was, it was awesome. Uh, haven't utilized horses in a while too. So that was fun. But the last thing I want to touch on and, and kind of talk about is, uh, the hike out and, um, had an interesting experience on the hike out. And again, this is rewinding to when I had killed him, opened him up and still had, excuse me, still had a three mile hike out by myself in the dark and fogs rolling in too, which just, you know, made it even that much more, uh, spooky or epic or whatever. Anyway, get, get, get him opened up, get back to the top of the ridge. And from the top of the ridge, it's just kind of following one big, you know, main, uh, ridge line all the way back up to where the, where I parked, but it's like three miles, you know, and maybe eight, 900 feet of vert. <clears throat> as soon as I hit the top of the ridge and start on my way back, um, hadn't gone maybe a few hundred yards and I'm hiking this, it's an old, old closed road. So it's just, you know, what used to be a road years and years and years ago, but it's closed and I'm hiking right along, uh, you know, on the road, obviously. And, you know, darkness is basically coming down 
uh, coming in and I'm passing a little saddle in the on the ridge line and there's nothing but a few little tiny trees little stand-up pine trees that are in a line along the road that I'm hiking again a closed road and these pine trees are all really really close together in a line line in the road uh, maybe three or four feet high thick enough that you know if something was on the other side you wouldn't be able to see it so I'm hiking I'm hiking I'm hiking not thinking anything of anything and get within I mean easily inside 30 yards probably closer to 20 of kind of the middle of that stand of little jack pines and a freaking mountain lion comes blowing out from behind those pines and leaps over the pines lands in the road you know a couple one or two leaps to get over the road and then 45s away from me uh back into the thicker timber and man that was cool uh to be honest i wasn't my first initial reaction was holy cow that was cool like that's kind of like holy cow is what i said out loud and then my second reaction which i i you know in this case i thought very clearly i whipped i pulled my pistol my glock and took a shot at him running into the trees i have a mountain lion tag as a resident and was not going to pass up the opportunity did not i don't think i came close maybe i did i don't know but i didn't definitely didn't draw blood or anything like that you know at that point he was maybe 50 yards bounding into the not bounding mountain lions don't bound but uh leaping or whatever into the timber so super cool experience though I, you know, I've hunted, I've hunted, obviously, if you've hunted the, the Rocky Mountain West, you've been around mountain lions. <clears throat> it's not something that I really worry about. I still wasn't necessarily worried about that cat afterwards or any other cat. Um, even though, you know, you see or hear the stories of cats chasing guys down, but, um, it did, it, it put me on edge a little bit more for grizzlies. If that makes any sense, you know, I was just kind of a little more heightened of like, okay, like, you know, I'd popped off a shot and was like, you know, walking back in the dark now and, you know, kind of doing the walking and making some noise and <clears throat> clearing my throat. And, you know, as I'd come up to a really thick stand of pine trees, I'd give a, you know, hey, bear, coming through bear, like just, you know, be safe or whatever. But um, super cool experience, man. Lions are just, I feel like they're, you know, grizzlies are terrifying, obviously, and they're super powerful, but I feel like cats are just the ultimate predators, man. Like, even when he was, like, you know, leaping away and hit that thick timber, I specifically remember stopping and just listening and seeing how far, to tell how far he went in there. I never heard him. Not, I didn't hear one sound of that cat making any sort of noise at any point. Even when I could see him, I don't think I remember him making any noise as he was as he was kind of leaping away. Um, and they're just man, they're super stealthy and they're incredible. Honestly, my assessment of the situation, I think that that cat was an opportunist. I think he was in that general vicinity, heard heard something coming down that walking down that road. I don't think that he registered it as a human initially, and I think. He thought maybe an elk or possibly a deer, and he was going to crouch behind that, you know, even even before he could see me maybe, and he was going to crouch behind those pines and 
take out whatever whatever came, whether it was an elk or a deer. Um, and I think what happened was I cleared my throat at about 20, 25 yards, <clears throat> made a human noise like that. can't remember if I cleared my throat or maybe spit or something like that. And that's what triggered him, I think, oh, this is a human. I don't really want anything to do with this. And that's when he bailed. So anyway, super cool. Just like, you know, cool experience. The whole thing was just incredible. Um, can't thank the guys, you know, at work that pointed me in the right direction. Uh, my buddy Derek was kind enough to drive me around. He had a cow tag, but still we kind of, you know, scouted the unit, so to speak. He kind of took me around, showed me some spots. Um, uh, Corey at work. Um, Mike coming to help me pack out Garrett being willing to come and help me pack out every, you know, Aaron, the whole team of everyone who helped just can't say enough good about having good friends and, you know, try to repay the favor as much as I can. It, you know, if you want a friend, be a friend and be willing to, you know, go help people pack their stuff out or scout for them or whatever you can do. So <clears throat> super cool experience. And that hits one hour that I've been sitting here rambling. So, man, I hope that was, if nothing else, I hope that was entertaining, uh, listening to all my mishaps and my stupidity. Uh, maybe the story was entertaining. I don't know. Uh, but hopefully brought value to you in some way or another. I don't know how to feel about these one, you know, these solo episodes. Um, mixed feeling on other podcasts when I hear other guys go solo. So maybe you guys love it. Maybe you hate it. I would love to hear back. Uh, give me your feedback either on the finding backcountry podcast, Instagram page, or, you know, you can always uh, leave in a comment on the podcast platform is not the easiest for me to find. I don't get on there and search them a ton or uh, finding backcountry at gmail.com as well. So, with that, I um, want to close by saying, you know, complete change of subject and a lot more serious, the world that we're experiencing. And, you know, this is a lot's gone on in the last, you know, month or whatever with the politics and just the world and the separation. And I don't want to talk about politics, frankly. I, I'm, I'm, the longer it goes on, the less I care. That being said, what I do care about is, this country and our freedoms and other Americans who believe the same thing. And so, you know, it's just very important that we don't take this for granted. I guess that's all I'm trying to say is appreciate the freedoms that we have, appreciate um, the rules that are in place to help protect us from ourselves or from other people or the government or whatever. Um, and, and generally just be a good person, you know, do not believe or, or watch too much of the media or the crap that's out there. Um, what I see and what I experience, and I've lived in multiple States, uh, multiple different demographics, big cities, small cities, tiny cities, uh, you know, barely little town that I'm in now. And in my experience, I've seen generally nothing but good. People generally are trying to be good to one another, and that's what's most important. Um, whether it's out in the mountains hunting or at work or on a Saturday night out on the town or 
whatever, even with people who you disagree with, um, try to look at them in a way that um, is fair and loving. That's my my final advice. And I'm not I I struggle with it every day, but I I think we can all we all agree that we all struggle and we can all get better. So thank you so much for listening. And until next time, thank you. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Finding Backcountry podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe and mention it to your friends. But the best thing you can do, leave a rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. For notes and links to this and other episodes, please visit findingbackcountry.com.